being human is hard. Being in relationships with other humans is even harder. People are complex. We have differences. We argue. We just plain disagree, even with people we love. If you've ever felt the ache of relational tension, turn up the volume. Today's bonus episode is a special recording of a chapter from our newest book, Come Sit with Me, authored by 26 Encourage Writers. Come Sit with Me will help you grow closer to God and others directly through the circumstances you'd rather run from. Listen now as one of our writers shares her raw story of real hope. Chapter One, Table of One, by Jennifer Dukes Lee. Come, sit with me. Let's talk. I'm in the booth to your left, the one tucked up against the corner of the restaurant. There are a bunch of local folks sitting on bar stools, and their heads all swivel toward the door when you walk in. You're new here. I saved a seat for you across the table from me. The seat is made of vinyl, and it makes a squeaking sound when you slide across it. A single napkin is sticking out of a plastic container, and when you pull the first one out, another pops up, just like a box of tissues. A sign on the wall says, "Buy one hamburger for the price of two and receive a second hamburger for free." That makes me smile. It smells like fries and bacon, and the waitress brings two glasses of water in tall mason jars. I picked this table for a reason. I've sat here many times with my husband when it seemed like we were worlds apart on the issues of the day. Suffice it to say, he and I haven't exactly seen eye to eye when we vote. But this is the table where my husband and I sit after every political election to have dinner and conversation together for as long as I can remember. We've done this after leaving the polling place just up the street from here, the polling place. It's where the roads of our marriage have diverged when our ink pens hover over tiny ovals on secret ballots. Election after election, we walk into the polling place, cast our ballots, and walk out side by side. In time, the awkwardness of this marital divide has softened, even when our differences haven't. We often joke on our way back to the car. Did our votes cancel each other out again? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But always we have come here to this table. Long ago, we made the decision to break bread together in the form of a shared plate of buffalo wings. We talk. We listen. And yes, we even disagree. This has never been easy. There have been tears at this table. Mine. There has been defensiveness and eye rolling. Again, mine. There have been uncomfortable conversations that we carry back through the front door into our home. But believe it or not, we have learned from each other at this table and have found common ground from time to time. Whenever I think about this table, it gives me hope, and that's why I invited you here to talk and to hope. Maybe you don't want to sit with me. Maybe you're wondering who I voted for all those times when my husband and I drove to the polling place, and maybe you're not so sure 
you want to be seen with someone like me. Then again, maybe you do want to sit here. Maybe you've been feeling like no one has room at the table for you anymore because of the way you feel about politics, parenting, climate change, alcoholic beverages, policing, critical race theory, religion, science, divorce, international adoption, vaccines, or public education. The list is unending. Chances are you are living in the tension of being misunderstood. And maybe these days you feel rejected or abandoned. Without warning, you lost a treasured friendship that fractured over a difference of opinion. You just found out your next door neighbor unfriended you last week. If there's a way forward, the path feels hidden. My grandfather said there were two things you should never talk about at the dining room table, religion and politics. And then came 2020. All of a sudden, that's all anybody wanted to talk about, religion and politics, along with masks and vaccines and social distancing and police practices and racial relations. And everywhere we looked, everyone was arguing. For many of us, 2020 was the year our differences came into sharp relief. It got heated at the table, didn't it? Chairs screeched back on the hardwood floor, voices pitched higher, people blocked, unfriended, and canceled their way into their own little echo chambers. We looked for churches and neighborhoods where everyone else thought and voted and behaved just like us because that felt safer. But ignoring our differences doesn't actually make anything safer. It just makes us more insulated and divided. And let's be honest, a few places felt safe. Even the family Thanksgiving table suddenly turned into a battlefield. You realized that you didn't even see eye to eye with people you loved dearly. Yet you didn't have the option of unfriending your spouse, best friend, sister-in-law, or children. These are your people, and you just want to figure out how to live in peace with them. But is it possible? Can we actually live in peace with someone we greatly disagree with? Can we find common ground when tiny fractures have already widened into canyons? God must have known that we would need help navigating seasons of discord and divisiveness. The Old Testament is filled with stories of war, conflict, and conquest. And in the New Testament, we read of heated debates over Jesus' teachings. But the Bible is not a story where disagreement has the final say. The Bible is a story where Jesus extends us all an irresistible invitation. Come, sit with me at the table. It wasn't an invitation for only those who wore the right clothes or checked the right ballot boxes or lived a righteous life. It was and is an invitation for us all. Before his death, Jesus extended that kind of invitation at a Passover meal. His friends showed up and they all reclined at the table. Among them was the betrayer, Judas Iscariot. Jesus' invitation for Judas to sit at the table is an astounding expression of friendship and love. In John 13, there's this heart-stopping moment at the supper table when Jesus tells his disciples that one of them will betray him. The disciples stare at one another at a loss over what Jesus could mean. John finally asks, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. 
This action of dipping bread and giving it to a person at the table was a common cultural practice. But don't miss this. It was a way to single out the honored guest at the table, similar to someone standing up to give a toast at a wedding reception. It was a mark of esteem, as if Jesus was saying to his betrayer, I love you. I honor you. I raise a toast to you. I have to ask myself, would I be okay inviting someone to dinner who is part of a plot to kill me? Would I be able to share a table with someone who rapidly dislikes me? Would I raise a toast to a person who I personally find offensive and disagreeable? Would I consider my enemy an honored guest? I want to find myself answering yes to those questions. But if I'm being honest, I haven't always been able to do that. It's tempting for me to say, well, it was easier for Jesus. He was fully human, but he was also fully God. And with God's perfect love coursing through his whole being, Jesus was able to do something that I simply cannot do, or shall I say, will not do. Yet, God doesn't give us a pass when it comes to loving our adversaries. Jesus says it plainly, love your enemies, Matthew 5, 44. And I don't think this love is an I'll love you at a distance kind of love. Rather, it's an up-close-and-personal, welcome-to-my-table love. The Greek word translated here as love is agape, which is the highest form of love, unconditional love. I have to ask myself what it looks like to love my enemy with the highest form of love, with genuine delight, goodwill, and charity. Check out Paul's instructions to the Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people— Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Nowhere does he say to walk away from those we disagree with. Nowhere does he say to avoid people or retreat into echo chambers where we can hear only reverberations of our own viewpoint and opinions. He doesn't say to block or unfriend, to cancel or discount another person. Instead, he calls us to forgive one another, to choose compassion, have patience, and bear with each other. In the original Greek, that little phrase doesn't simply mean to put up with or to tolerate. It means to endure, to have patience with, and get this, to suffer. Bearing with one another can feel like suffering, can't it? Yet this is the way of Christ. We are called to sit close enough to people that they could reach over and hurt us. That's exactly what Jesus did. He kept his betrayer close enough to hand him a piece of bread. As we sit here, you and I at this table, I am wondering if this is how we begin, right here, together. And then 
what if we could step across party lines, religious lines, personality lines, and invite more people to join us? I can't stop thinking about how little time each of us has on earth to fulfill God's call for unity, a call issued many centuries ago. Before he goes to the cross, Jesus spends some of his last precious moments on earth praying for his disciples and for future believers, us. Twice in John 17, he prays for unity among us. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. He repeats the prayer in verses 20 and 21. I pray that all of them may be one. The early church decided unity was a worthy calling. Fast forward to the book of Acts, where we're told all the believers were one in heart and mind. Acts 4, 32. We know they did not agree on every issue that arose. They were humans, just like us after all. But they understood what unified them. Jesus. Jesus broke down every barrier for Jew and Gentile alike. A radical change in ideology that took time for everyone to embrace. But the early church eventually got there. Now it's our time. Here's what we risk if we don't find a way forward. We will each end up sitting at a table of one. If we have to agree with every single person in our church on every single issue, we will be sitting in a church of one. If we have to agree with our neighbor on every single issue, we will live in a neighborhood of one, a book club of one, a Bible study of one, a living room of one, a family of one. We're all going to sit alone at Thanksgiving and Christmas and even the communion table where Jesus beckons us to take and eat. A table of one. I know how uncomfortable it is. Every election cycle, every news story, and every political event has the potential to set off fireworks in my own home. And not the pretty kind, but the explosive, cover your ears, and run for cover kind. But my husband and I have finally come to a place where our divisions no longer shock us. In the same way, our global divisions should not shock us. Scott and I got married knowing full well that we didn't always agree. But we got married anyway. And here's why. Because we loved us more than we hated what was different. And that conviction is what keeps us coming to this table 25 years later. Maybe that's a starting place for each of us today. We can love us more than we hate what is different. I understand how hard this is, but silence isn't working. And neither is shouting on Facebook. I know of friends who haven't talked in more than a year because of divisions over recent events. These friends used to sit at the same table, vacation together, worship together. As days turn to months, turn to years, that gap will continue to widen unless it's dealt with. Maybe we could try this instead. Instead of unfriending that college roommate with her unending rants on social media, 
Use the Facebook like button to let her know you love the photo of her kid holding up his new driver's license. Instead of arguing with your dad over how he voted, listen as he tells you what he's been thinking. We can listen without agreeing and still enjoy the Thanksgiving turkey. This doesn't mean that the hot button issues aren't important. They are. But if our divisions create an all or nothing mentality, then we're missing out. So instead of focusing on everything that divides, let's find points of connection. We might not agree with the way our next door neighbors parent their children, but when we get to know them, we might realize that we both share a fondness for historical fiction and sushi. I understand that sushi won't save the world. And I know that this vinyl booth tucked into the corner of a small town restaurant won't right all the wrongs. But like the old song says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me and with you right here at our table of two. We hope today's story has encouraged your heart and made you feel less alone in the messy business of being human. Let's keep sitting and learning together. Our new book, Come Sit With Me, How to Delight in Differences, Love Through Disagreements, and Live with Discomfort, is now available. Get your copy today at dayspring.com or wherever books are sold.